our scripture this morning comes from Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 through 20. First, let us pray. Creative God, open our imaginations to receive your word today. Give us the courage to trust your spirit's inspiration and help us to faithfully bring about your dream of a world made whole. Amen. Jacob settled into a land where his father had lived as an alien, the land of Canaan. These are the descendants of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. He was a helper to the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report to them, to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him an ornamented robe. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Once Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream that I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field, and suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, and then your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to have dominion over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and his words. He had another dream and told it to his brothers, saying, Look, I have had another dream. The sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What kind of dream is this you've had? Shall we indeed come, and I, your mother, and your brothers, and bow to the ground before you? So his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. He answered, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring word back to me. So he set him from the valley of Hebron. He came back to Shechem, and, the man, and a man found him wandering in the fields. The man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where are they pasturing the flock? The man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from a distance, and before he came near, to them, they conspire to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes the dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we shall say that a wild animal has devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, we are in the home stretch of our summer sermon series, working our way through Genesis. Now, over the course of three months, we've had to skip over about as much as we've covered. So rich and so dense is this opening book. We've just barely scratched the surface. 
Last week we talked about Esau, which means we also talked about Jacob and a little about Isaac and Rebecca and Leah and Rachel. But I also talked about a snake. Not the snake back in the Garden of Eden, but a snake that was very unfortunately on the loose in my apartment. Now that was about 15 years ago. Some things are burned into our memories. But I told you about that snake, about how I didn't sleep for days because its location was unknown. And as many of you observed, more of you in fact than noticed the missing cookies, I didn't finish the story. I used the story to describe the way I imagined Jacob felt, waiting for Esau, the brother that he had tricked and betrayed on more than one occasion, the brother who had threatened to kill him, the brother who was just out there somewhere like the escapee snake in my apartment. So I lost sleep over the snake. I didn't realize you were going to lose sleep wondering if the snake was found, and when it was found, and most concerning, where it was found. There is no gentle way for me to finish this story. After several weeks had passed, enough so that I began to assume that the snake had escaped and was having a grand adventure out in the city, I woke up in the middle of the night and I stumbled into the bathroom. Now, I don't usually, I didn't usually turn on the lights in the middle of the night. It was not my practice to do that, but for some reason that night I did. And lo and behold, there was Pumpkin the snake, half in the toilet bowl, half on the toilet seat. <laughs> and I will leave it to your imagination what might have happened had I not turned on the light. <laughs> I will just say that to this day, to this very day, I always turn on the light in the bathroom. <laughs> Now, I didn't tell you the end of that story last week because I was concerned it might give a few of you nightmares, and I don't like nightmares for any of us. Today, though, we're talking about dreams. If you ask Joseph, though, even dreams can be awfully complicated. His dreams got him into all sorts of trouble. Now just to clarify, this is the same Joseph who had the amazing Technicolor dream coat. That is the way that Tim Rice and Andrew Lloyd Webber would paraphrase it. Scripture, as Kenny read it, calls it an ornamented robe. That amazing ornamented robe was a sign, we're told, of Joseph's status as the favored son. Jacob, his father, loved him more than he loved the others, and so he made him a coat. The other sons, as you might imagine, well, the other 11 had some feelings about this. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Sibling rivalry is real. That has been true all throughout Genesis, and anyone who has a sibling, or anyone who has parented siblings, 
knows that on a visceral level. Even if it's just as simple as, hey, he got a fancy new coat and the rest of us have hand-me-downs, well, sibling rivalry is real. I assure you, I have a brother. I know it is very real. It's not humanity at its finest, but it's honest. But this story, it's actually not about sibling rivalry. It's not even really about hate. Because we are told, yes, that they hate him. But then he has this dream. And when he tells his brothers that he had a dream, they hated him even more. And then, as if things haven't gone from bad to worse, he tells them what happened in the dream, and yet again, they hated him even more. Because you see, in Joseph's time, dreams were not the assemblage of random fragments from our day, or the consequence of too much cheese too late at night, or even our subconscious selves attempting to process something. Dreams were considered visions from God, divine revelation, holy proclamation, God's own truth. So you can imagine that when Joseph says to his brothers, hey, I had this dream that we were out in the fields and we were gathering up wheat. In my bunch of wheat, it stood up straight, and y'all's bunches of wheat, well, they bowed down to mine. They hated him even more for that. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to then say to his brothers and his father, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and 11 stars all bowed down to me. And it appears that favoritism does have some limits because his father rebukes him. Oh, Jacob says, so you think that not only your brothers, but also your mother and I are going to bow down to you. That's his beginning. A fancy coat, sure, but then he's hated, and hated even more, and hated even more, and ultimately rebuked. I still don't think this story is about hate, though. It might be helpful to think for a bit about where we are in the overall arc of Genesis. Because chapter 37, where we are right now, chapters 37 through 50, are considered a unit all of their own. And it marks an important shift. God is not mentioned less often from here to the end of Genesis. But God is portrayed very differently. Up until now, God spoke directly to people and intervened in their lives and sometimes even overpowered them. Think about God talking to Abraham and making promises, promises that were wild but clear. Think about God telling Sarah she's going to have a baby and then eavesdropping on her laughter and then calling her out for that laughter. Or think about God physically wrestling with Jacob at the Jabbok River. Up until now, God has been anything but subtle. But from here on out, 
there is a shift. God is now much less obvious and much more behind the scenes, present more in weaving together threads of goodness and mercy and judgment and stitching them into the fabric of everyday life. Joseph's story is incredibly long, but God never appears to him, not once. God appears to every major character and more than a few minor characters up until now. Joseph or any who follow him in this book do not receive a direct word from God. There are the dreams, sure, but God never actually shows up to say, oh, here's what I meant by that dream. Joseph is left to interpret on his own. Now, some commentators, they say that this section of Genesis was written later and that it was written to a world that had changed substantially, that it was written into a new cultural climate, one where the old understanding of faith as wild and dramatic was no longer resonating with people because it wasn't matching their experience. Other commentators focus less about what was going on in the world when this was written down, but wholeheartedly agree that it presents a new expression of faith. Because either way, we are shown a new side of God a God whose purpose is often at work in hidden and almost unnoticeable ways. And even still, ways that are no less likely to come to fruition. So when we hear that Joseph's brothers hate him, but they hate him even more after his dream, they don't hate him even more because he has the arrogance to dream those sorts of things. They hate him even more because this is one of the new ways that God is communicating with God's people, which means that these dreams, at some point, are going to come true. And that is terrifying to them because and you'll remember this, we've encountered it more weeks than not this summer. The firstborn of the family is supposed to be the leader, the inheritor, the blessed. And while that has been turned on its head repeatedly, that has always been due to human action, not divine will. The system that has always told the world and everyone in it how it is to be ordered and where everyone falls in that order. If Joseph's dreams are in fact a vision from God, well, that means God intends to upend the world that his brothers have always known and understood. This story isn't about hate. Hatred is almost always masking fear. Willie James Jennings says this about the Joseph story. He says, dreams are dangerous, and those who dream them must be killed. 
for they point to a reality that does not yet exist. Those who are oppressed and marginalized dream of a world undergirded by social justice, but that is all too often dismissed as utopian by those benefiting from the present structure. And so, here comes this dreamer, Joseph's brothers say. Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let's kill him, and we'll see what will become of his dreams. That's Genesis chapter 37, verses 19 and 20. Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him, and we will see what becomes of his dreams. Those words are inscribed on a plaque outside room 306 of the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee, where another dreamer was killed. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer, let us kill him, and we shall see what becomes of his dreams. And they're not the exact words, but can't you just hear the chief priests and the scribes muttering under their breath as they watch people wave palm branches as another dreamer rides into Jerusalem on a donkey? They said to one another, here comes this dreamer, let us kill him, and we shall see what becomes of his dreams. It's a statement of hate, which is really a statement of fear. It's a desperate plan, and it is terrible theology. Because Joseph's story, if you keep reading, Joseph's story makes it clear that if the dream is of God, if the dream really is divine, we have no capacity to stop it. Not ultimately. Not even if we plan to kill the dreamer, not even if we hate the dreamer, not even if we craft systems to keep the dreamer down, not even if we silence the dreamer or take away the dreamer's rights or the dreamer's access to health care, not even if we refuse to educate the dreamer or insist upon locking them up, and not even if we don't actually hate the dreamer ourselves, but sit by and watch as others plot and craft and rob and lock up and fear and hate the dreamer. Because this story, it isn't about hate. And with apologies to Joseph, the story isn't even about the dreamer. The story is about God's dream. Because if you keep reading in Genesis, you'll discover the story doesn't end up the way the brothers have planned. But you'll have to read for a good long while. It will take years. It will take years upon years. But Joseph's dream, which is God's dream, it does come true. Even through times when God seems determined to be subtle, behind the scenes, almost imperceptible, sometimes even silent. Do not mistake a quiet God 
for an absent God. God is in the story. God is in our story. And you can be sure that God is working it out. It was a number of years ago now in a sermon that Pope Francis said, we are the dream of God. We exist in order to make God's dreams come true. And if God seems to be behind the scenes, well, maybe that's because God is inviting us to step onto the stage where all the action takes place. Dreams take work. Dreams of every sort take tremendous work. But when they are of God, when they are of God's vision for this world, no matter how long it takes, dreams really do come true. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.